it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, that's true. It is me. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. We've got a big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by Gerard Baker and Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. With West, we're going to focus on what Texas is doing. The governor has said, I've had it. I've put together a unit. It's going to pick up these illegal immigrants. going to drop them at the border. I hope they stay. I hope they process. But I just appreciate the effort because the border is broken and the president doesn't care. How much longer are they going to take it? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, a Texan. Uh, on that. And Gerard Baker knows much about the economy as anyone in the country. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs. Not a whisper anywhere. We do most of the DNA analysis in Ohio. There is no case request for analysis that looks anything like this. Uh, there you go. David Yost on prime time talking about this incident where they said a 10 year old was raped and had to leave Indiana in order to get uh, leave Ohio in order to get a abortion. It turns out the story not true, as is so much. Roe v. Wade, the anarchy, not just about abortion, but security and politics. We'll discuss it all. Number two. Today will be the second time that Mexico's president has visited the White House since President Biden took office. There's no shortage of topics the two men are expected to discuss, whether it be the economy, climate change, and yes, immigration. The White House under intense pressure from both parties to address what's happening with the migrant crisis. Mark uh, Meredith doing a great job. President Biden's big international challenges lined up this week. One with the Mexican president today. He needs to be uh, told to enforce his southern border or get tariffs. For two, Israel. Israel is a leader who should be told, we have your back. Number three, Saudi Arabia. They need to make peace with Israel and unite against Iran. It's not too hard. It's all queued up. The problem, these are Trump policies, and they worked. Number one. You would think with 33% uh, approval rating, his, he's in the doldrums, that Donald Trump would beat him in an overall poll, not just Democrats, but Republicans and independents. So don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And that is Laura Fink coming up with the New York Times poll that says despite all Joe Biden's struggles, he would beat Donald Trump. But it, the message is clear from Joe Biden's party. Shut the lights off on the way out. That's the message the Dems are sending to President Biden as his age and underwhelming performance has Dems scrambling. Let's bring in uh, Gerard Baker. Uh, Gerard Baker, you know him, editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal, host of the Wall Street Journal at large on Fridays. Gerard, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to share uh, the polls that you know about already uh, with the uh, with our audience. Uh, first off, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of um, let me just uh, bring it up here. Uh, in terms of the New York Times and and what they've found out that 71 percent uh, they have 71 percent of the country, 71 uh, percent of Democrats want a new. Uh, 26% want Joe Biden nominated next year. 
uh, next term. Yeah. Nominate a different person, 64%. 60% of those who want a new presidential candidate on the Democratic side are over 65. Who do you think the Democratic Party should renominate Joe Biden? Only 5% want him renominated in 2024 for those voters under 30. Nominate a different person, 94%. With a 33% approval rating. Now, I'm not talking about a right-wing Trafalgar poll. I'm talking about the Siena New York Times poll. Have you seen anything like this, Gerard? No, I haven't. I'm not for a sitting president. Look, John McCain famously used to say, uh, self-joking about himself, when you're down at these kind of numbers, your support is down to close friends, family members, and staffers. And, uh, you know, this, frankly, joking aside, is pretty well where Biden is. The 33% overall approval rating is lower than Donald Trump um, ever got to. His average approval rating is, is is as low as the former president got to. The 13th, the, uh, one thing you didn't mention, Brian, is people ask whether the country's on the right track or the wrong track. 13% think the country's on the right on the right track. That is a lower number than in the early days of the pandemic when people were going around wondering whether or not we were gonna all going to die in this terrible plague. People are actually less confident about the state of the country than they were um, when we thought the sort of uh, we were we were going to be wiped out by plague. So, no, these are these are unprecedented, unparalleled numbers. But, Brian, you have to say it's no surprise. Right. I mean, look, you know, the, the economy, the economy is creating jobs. We know that at least there are. We've got a good jobs report on Friday. But everything else, you know, everything else that, sh- that should be going up is going down and everything else that should be going down is going up. Inflation. We're going to get more inflation numbers tomorrow. Inflation is bad. Real wages are growing uh, way below the rate of inflation. So people are losing real uh, losing real incomes. Um the outlook for the economy is extremely bleak. We may already be in a kind of technical recession because we had a quarter of negative growth in the first quarter and the second quarter, which has just ended, may also be negative. Um, the uh, financial condition of households has been absolutely devastated in the last three months. Your four, don't dare look at your 401k return for the second quarter because it was one of the ugliest in history, uh, the second quarter performance. So the economy is in this terrible shape. We've got crime surging in cities. We've got um, still government still kind of trying to kind of grapple with this COVID thing. I and mean, we just, you know, once again, they just announced again, they're going to extend the state of emergency. Three years, we're going to be um, be in, in, into COVID. You've got immigration, you've got this crisis at the border, which the Biden administration doesn't seem to care about. And, and all the Biden administration seems to care about, Brian, is blaming everybody else. It's blaming oil companies for the, for the oil prices. It's blaming Vladimir Putin for inflation. It's blaming gas station owners uh, for inflation. It's blaming Republicans for not having a better plan to deal with inflation. They have not got a clue, Brian. They're economically clueless. They are presiding over the collapse of law and order in so many American cities. They um, are, in the meantime, continuing to press this hyper-progressive agenda on these woke cultural issues, on things like that. It's no wonder that this is, right now, the most unpopular president since polling began. So I want you to hear what CNN is doing now. They're told to straighten out their act and stop showing some partisanship, uh, evidently, just publicly from their new CEO. So Jake Tapper brings up these numbers on his show, Cut Four. 94% of Democratic primary voters under the age of 30, 94% say they don't want Biden. That is a stunning number. Yes. Um. I mean, he swept his grandchildren, but other than that, I mean, like, who, uh, I mean, 94% don't want him, who are, Demo- again, 94%. Demo- Democrats yeah. under yeah, the age yeah. of 30. 
I mean, they can't even get over it. They just repeat it over and over again because you don't have Donald Trump to blame. Now they just poke us over to January 6th. But I would say this, what I find astounding, and you might want to straighten me out on this. They're mad at Joe Biden, not because he's moderate, because he's not getting enough green stuff done because he didn't pack the court. He didn't jam Build Back Better down our throats. We still are on fossil fuels. So he's not upset about anything that you and I might be upset about. They're upset he's not more left. They're upset that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema stopped the agenda and that Joe Biden didn't find a way around it. Am I right, Gerard? Shouldn't Republicans keep that in mind? Very much so. Look, again, again, this is, uh, by the way, you didn't mention one thing you could have done. They're mad at him because they think he's not taking a tough enough stand to overturn the Supreme Court's Roe uh, decision in the Dobbs yeah, case on, on, on abortion. They think he's not doing enough on that. They want, you know, these progressives want, want abortion clinics set up on military bases and in national parks and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is crazy stuff, Brian. And you're right. <clears throat> they are. They are they are unhappy, but many of these people because they think he's not being aggressive enough. Look, this is the problem with the Democratic Party right now, which is that the voices that dominate the, the, the Democratic Party, and we've seen this since Joe Biden came to office eighteen months ago, are the left, right? Are the progressive woke left? They're, I mean, when, when you have a when you have a party where someone like AOC and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders seem to be driving the agenda and have all the influence in the party, um, then you know why they're in so much trouble. They're in that much trouble. Excuse me, because they uh, they are pursuing those policies rather than doing. Look, yeah, you and I, uh, Brian, were not big fans of Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton came into office in 1993. Immediately, things started to go really badly wrong. He pursued a progressive agenda in all kinds of ways, having promised to govern from the center. He got absolutely shellacked. I mean, initially in the polls and then, of course, in the midterm elections in 1994. But he at least had the political intelligence, Brian, to to realize what was going on. To stand up to the progressives in the party and to say, no, 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 this is this is wrong. We've got we've got to change tack. Of course, he did change tack and he got reelected in 1996. I don't think Biden has the ability, the interest, the inclination or, frankly, the cognitive, the cognitive awareness these days to do that kind to do to make that kind of a stand. And so he's just letting the party, the left of the party, drive the agenda. And surprise, surprise, that's driving the party deeper and deeper into a hole. And it's no wonder he's got these approval ratings. And it's no wonder that in the midterm elections in November, his party is going to be wiped out. Jordan, I, I have a different take, uh, the same conclusion, but the reason why. I don't think he even, I, I think he, he could be 60 years old or 55 years old. See, what Bill Clinton said, he had a survival mode. He goes, let me look at the hand I have and let me get the best hand possible. So he cut deals. He said, well, if you're going to cut spending, uh, you better increase here. You want to do welfare reform, give me something for that. They made deals. And in the yeah. end, he walked away with a great report card, but not with a great yeah. liberal report card. President yeah. Biden is just not interested in walking away with the, what's best for the country. For some reason, he's interested in appeasing his left. And I think it's been, he's been poisoned by Ron Klain, whose job it was to satisfy the squad. And the squad is running the agenda. Anything else, you get vilified. Kristen Cinema, you are uh, Joe Manchin. They're not. They're as welcome as Mitch McConnell at a Democratic picnic. Yeah, you're right. No, no, no I, I don't. I, I don't disagree with you. I come come to the same place. You look. By the way, look. Here's another thing. Look, their latest. They're trying to revive Build Back Better. As is ridiculously right now. Plan to expand massively, expand the state, and you know what they want to do to pay for that? They want to raise taxes. They're proposing raising taxes on businesses. They're raising big businesses on corporations. They want to raise taxes on 
relatively wealthy individuals, that is, you know, people, the investing class, people who invest money in the country, they want to raise taxes, Brian, as the, the economy is tipping into a recession, as we face an incredibly negative economic outlook, and you have a party in power that supposedly is, you know, supposed to be in charge of economic policy that wants to raise taxes. And this is, this is unheard of in, you know, in, in, in modern times. Any country that faces the economic conditions that we're facing, look, the fiscal position is not great in the United States, but the last thing you want to do right now is raise taxes. That's what they're trying to do. I think you're right. I mean, again, look, I, there's going to be all kinds of explanations are going to have to be found for why Biden did this. I think you're right. I think he is in the pocket of the progressive party. But it is still remarkable that remember when he ran for president in 2020, you know, he took on the left, supposedly. Well, he didn't really take them on, actually, to be honest, because he didn't do anything. He sat in his basement uh, uh, all, all year and the votes came to him. But but he supposed but he did. He supposedly stood separately from the left. You know, the, the, the left, the progressives had Elizabeth Warren and they had Bernie Sanders. Uh, and those were the ones who were supposedly going to drive the progressive agenda. Biden was going to be no, you know, Uncle Joe. He's a regular guy. He's been in Washington for 50 years. He's not going to do anything radical and strange. And he's the one who gets the nomination thanks in part to, you know, what happened in South Carolina with Jim Clyburn and others, he gets the nomination, you know, again, promising to be a healing centrist president. And then he does everything that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren campaigned on. I mean, that, that's, you know, so I agree with you. I, we're going to have to understand why that right. was, why Joe Biden thought that it was in either the right thing to do or in his political interests to make this dramatic left turn when he became president. But it clearly was, you know, it clear whatever whatever the reason, the implications are now very clear. Yeah, I, ju- I just think if there's a Harold Ford out there, if there's a Joe Manchin running for president, it becomes like the good old days where, you know, center left to, against center right. And then you see what works. And if you happen, if the country goes 65 senators, that then they're clearly saying, I want more conservatives. And if they go 65 left, sadly, they'll say, I do want to pack the court. I do want to spend more. I do want to be a socialist country. But right now you have these you have a a Democratic Party that wants Pete Buttigieg to be its new leader. And you got to tell me he's more moderate than Joe Manchin or Joe Biden. He's not. But I want you to hear this. Jill Biden, who's supposed to be the voice of reason in this administration, is trying to stop the bleeding when it comes to the Hispanic vote, and they are losing a ton. So she's in San Antonio, and listen to what she, how she describes Hispanics. Cut one. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> I mean, do you, the Bogodas. Is your strength. Right. The Bogodas well, and you're, uh, a, you're, you're a taco. Uh, Congressman G- uh, Jimenez uh, uh, came out with this, says, the first lady thinks Hispanics are not uh, are as unique as breakfast tacos. Maybe that's true of Latinx people. But for real Hispanics, that's actually insulting. It's so. I mean, it's t- it is Taco Tuesday, I should say, uh, Brian. So good maybe point. We should, Very good point. Maybe we, should, maybe we should honor. Maybe we should honor the Doctor Jill Biden. Let's not forget it's Doctor Jill Biden. Now you know why she got her doctorate because she's obviously got such a sophisticated understanding uh, of the country and indeed of culture. I mean, that's just uh, as you say the bog- the bogat the bogatas and the tacos. I mean, I you know I, I, I it, you just you you just 
you know, and again, the frustrating and the really, you know, we can laugh at that and we should laugh at that. And Hispanics have every right to be offended by that because it is an astonishingly offensive thing to say. Imagine, well, I won't go there, but all kinds of the idea that people want to be defined by some, some, you know, some, some, some white woman's yeah. idea of their culture. I mean, it's just such a, such an embarrassing thing to say. But, but the, the other thing that gets me about this, Brian, when I thought about this a lot when, she, when I saw this yesterday is that these are the people who, so, who, who tell everybody else about how, how to live their life. The, the, this is the, the, the fundamental, I think, I honestly think the fundamental sort of animating um, uh, belief for progressives is that they know better than everybody else, right? All these people in the rest of the country who want to own guns and don't like abortion, all this kind of stuff, they're, they're fundamentally stupid and bigoted and they need to be taught by experts and technocrats. Exactly. That's why we had all of this COVID stuff and all of this, um, you know, their, their, their ideas for how the country should be run. They need, progressives want to tell you how to live your life because they know better. They understand, they understand everything, but they're better educated than you. They have been to the right schools. They've got doctorates, you know, like, like Dr. Jill Biden. They are the ones, put them in charge and run the country. And then they come up with cretinous, cretinous things like, gotcha. like, 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 like that. I mean, yeah. No wonder people. No wonder people have no respect. Right. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna have a breakfast taco and go to a Bogota, and then I'll have a. It'll make a perfect for Taco Tuesday, which I'll celebrate at night. Uh, that'll win over the Hispanic vote. Gerard Baker, editor of the Large Wall Street Journal and host of Wall Street Journal at Large on Fridays at 7:30. Thanks, Gerard. Have a breakfast taco for me, Brian. You got it. I promise. They're so different. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So we're telling about Jill Biden and her comments comparing Hispanics to tacos, breakfast tacos. Uh, the Hispanic journalist uh, group scolds Jill Biden. Uh, breakfast remark says, do not reduce us to stereotypes. Dan Crenshaw says if Jill Biden is going to compare Hispanic Americans to breakfast tacos, then she should at least use more inclusive language. It's tech X. I got it. And this just came across from her spokesperson. The first lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. Hmm. I'm not sure that'll be enough. She wants it to go away. But with a compliant press, it probably will. How many times over the weekend did you hear other outlets talk about how Joe Biden said what the prompter instructed him to say, repeat the line? Almost nobody. We come back, Colonel Allen West, on the broken border and what the message to the Mexican president should be when the vice president meets with her actually right now for breakfast. I'm not sure if they're having tacos and the president for lunch. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I um, would suggest that so-called leaders focus on solutions instead of attacks if they really are concerned about a problem. And that includes on the issue of immigration, passing a pathway for citizenship, fixing what in particular under the prior administration was a badly broken system so that we can have a humane and appropriate approach to this issue, including, of course, what we will continue to do in terms of prioritizing border security, but understanding we also need to create a pathway. And, um, and that's where I think everyone should be focused, if they're actually concerned about solutions instead of flamethrowing. Unbelievable. Uh, does she have any interest in anything that's going to be productive except for her own career, which she doesn't want to participate in? She wants to be the Queen of England. That is the Vice President of the United States talking about Governor Abbott's new move to consolidate a force to pick up illegal immigrants ourselves and bring them to the border because the feds won't. We got to get them back into the Mexico. We're not allowed to do that. But I love the fact that he's doing this. And the vice president says, so-called leaders, what have you done? You're the border czar. And the follow-up question from Robert Costa should have been, isn't this your job to back up the border? Under what metrics do you think the border's in better shape? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on that answer. How about the vice president and the so-called leader uh, uh, talking about Governor Abbott? Well, the vice president has completely abdicated, along with the president as well, abdicated their constitutional duty. They are in violation of the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4. And let me just put what is going on in our, at our border and in our country in perspective. You know, we have 800,000 uh, what they call the getaways, the people that, you know, they don't know where they are. They come across the border, mostly single military-aged males dressed in black, dressed in camouflage. Brian, that 800,000 number is larger than the active duty force that we have of the Army and the Marine Corps. I I just want to say that again. 800,000 in the Biden administration years, past year and a half, have come across the board in the United States of America illegally. We don't know where they are, and that number is greater than what we have in our active duty Army and Marine Corps right now. 
So this is an invasion. This is a very important issue on top of the drug, the human, the sex trafficking. We're not <laughs> fighting against cartels. This is an insurgency that is going on. And, you know, we here in Texas want the governor to go the next mile and, and deport these individuals. And that's why you saw those four border counties come up last week. And I've been to all of them. And they uh, want to see uh, this thing declared an invasion. And right now, the attorney general is uh, doing a legal review of that. The attorney general of Arizona has already made that determination. Right. Uh, in our Texas sectors where the border agents apprehended, get this, according to Breitbart, they got 26,000 migrants over the last six days in Rio Grande Valley, El Paso, mm-hmm. Laredo, and Big Ben. 26,000. Now, they bring them to mm-hmm. the border. They send them over the bridge. I'm, I'm not sure if they're all coming back or not. A lot of them are single men. That means that Title 42 should have kicked them out and should be staying out. They don't belong here. They have no, they have no, uh, they have no case and now the president of the United States, all he's talking about is a pathway to citizenship. And that's yeah. what I imagine the vice president is going to be talking about, the Mexican president, right now. And the whole purpose of this pathway to citizenship is to get them the ability to vote. And when you look at certain municipalities up in New York City, where you are, uh, they allow illegals to vote in local level of Thankfully, that got that nixed. Was, uh, Thankfully, that got okay. nixed. Yeah, through his Supreme okay, Court. Okay, came down with Bill de Blasio, yeah. But this is what they're trying to do. I guess that's the point that I, I want to make. They, they did that also out in San Francisco. But that's where you see their strategy is to allow people to come in here illegally and say, hey, you know what, there's nothing that we can do about it. They're here in the millions in the past uh, you know, year and a half. And we're going to give them all the rights and freedoms and, and liberties. And guess what? You, the American taxpayer, the struggling right now to make ends meet in your own home, you're going to see your taxes increase because we've got to provide them benefits. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, so i got to bring you to – so do you like the governor's plan? You know, it, a lot of us see it as a, 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 a – an increased version of catch and release, because if you're going to police up the folks and you're just going to take them and put them there at the border, you you got to then create what I call a border control zone, a border security zone. And you've got to keep these individuals from getting outside of that border security zone. And if you've been down to the border, you basically look at the Rio Grande River and Highway 90 that runs east and west, uh, pretty much so across that entire 1,254-mile border. And you keep people down in that area. And you may Make sure that they are not allowed to get outside there. You you take away that tax exempt status for these NGOs down there, so they can't get on planes and, and buses and things of that nature. So it's good that we're saying we're going to keep them down and, and take them back to the border. But the next step is to get them across that border back into Mexico, especially now. We're seeing people from India. Uh, we're seeing people from Afghanistan, all these different countries. The, this is not about climate change. This is about people realizing that the border to the United States of America is wide open. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I don't know if you've been following this happening with this uh, bodega owner. Oh, absolutely. Me, it's insidious. It is absolutely crazy. And that Alvin Bragg, the DA up there, you guys need to run him out of, out of there. I don't know if you can recall him. Recall. Can't. Okay. Uh, you could fire him if Zeldin you, wins. Yeah. If Zeldin wins, you could fire him. Okay, well, somebody has to get rid of this guy. The fact that you had a criminal, a person with a criminal record that was released, and we've all seen the videotape, attack and assault this uh, owner, Jose uh, Alba, 
And the guy's fighting for his life. Look, Brian, I'm 61. Alba's 61. You got this young man pounding on him, and he did what was necessary. He protected himself. He protected his life. And he gets charged with murder? The girlfriend who also stabbed him doesn't get charged with anything. And the bail? I mean, all of a sudden we have this bail reform law for certain criminals, but yet he gets 250000 He spends a couple of nights in, in Rikers. You know, the people in New York got to, got to stand up and say enough is enough. Absolutely. So this uh, guy, in case you don't see it, evidently the number of bodega owners that uh, were robbed has tripled this year already, 195. Mm-hmm. 195. I don't know how much money they think is in there. They say the same people keep coming in and out because you get arrested, you get to keep the stuff, you go in, you get processed, you get let out again, and then there's no yeah. prosecution. So this guy, Jose Alba, sits there. They're caught on video. He's trying to walk away. You see them get stabbed by the girlfriend. You see this guy come in, trap him behind. You see him get pushed against the wall. And as he tries to slide by, the guy pushes him again, and he gets stabbed. And the guy and the career criminal gets killed. And now uh, the bodega owners are speaking out. There's a union of them. And they say they're Mm -hmm. happy that the mayor is sticking up for the—he actually isn't the owner. His son is the owner. He just works there at night. Cut 14 is Fernando yeah. Mateo. Alvin Braggs is a, is, seems to be a reasonable person as far as the conversation we've had with him, that I've had with him. And uh, he, he just made a mistake. Sometimes the hardest thing in life is to admit when you've made a mistake. And you have to just come forward and say, hey, I made a mistake and I'm going to correct it. There's nothing wrong with correcting something you did wrong. Jose Alba was a victim. Jose Alba was standing his ground. Jose Alba defended himself from being killed. This guy is jacked. He's strong. He's young. He was going to beat this guy to death. And the truth of the matter is, Jose Alba had the right to defend himself. Right. Uh, I, don't, I would not take the apology. All he had to do was get the facts. That's his job. Get the facts. And the facts yeah. were, listen, it's overwhelming that this thug was in there to uh, rough him up, and he was a gangster, a known gang member. So to me, I mean, people are fed up in New York, and they represent every major city listening to us right now because the crime is running crazy. These cops are quitting because they're not supported. The DAs are permissive because George Soros put them there. So now we're left uh, by our own devices in subways and in stores and shopping centers. Mm -hmm. And whether you're in a jewelry store, a high-end jewelry store, or a Harlem bodega, you have to make a decision. Am I going to defend myself or not? And this comes back to the decision that the Supreme Court made against the state of New York, where they're saying that you don't have a right outside of your own home to be able to defend yourself. Uh, the Second Amendment does not apply. Think about how different it would be for those bodega owners that had to have the ability to arm themselves and to protect themselves. Think about that deterrent it would be for crime. And you're right with these Soros-backed uh, district attorneys, and we've got four of them here in Texas, in Dallas County, in Harris County, and Travis County, which is Austin, and uh, San Antonio, Bear County. These people are creating chaos and, and confusion and lawlessness on our streets. And on top of that, the left does not want People, law-abiding, everyday, illegal uh, Americans, responsible Americans, to be able to defend themselves, 
this is the real strategic problem that we have here because, number one, the, the left wants open borders. They want more gang members and more criminals and, and rapists and things of this nature coming across, more drugs. You had the big fentanyl bus up there in New York City. And now they don't want us to even be able to defend ourselves in our place of businesses and work. Yeah, uh, hopefully things are boomerang because I think people, I mean, you don't hear it. If anyone says to fund the police and not name Corey Bush, everybody jumps down their throat. Stop it. Don't bring that up. It'll be our destruction. A lot different from two, three years ago when if you defended the police, mm-hmm. they said, how dare you? I'm offended by the blue line in my American flag. No one's saying that anymore because I think America uh, got the smelling salts. You and I didn't need it, but a lot of, a lot of people did. And and the thing is, when people are upset about Joe Biden, they're upset about things like not getting p- uh, police reform. So for those people yeah. who think, well, Joe Biden's tanking because he's not doing well, he's not going left enough. People should understand that. Yeah, that's a scary yeah. thing. Colonel, thanks so that much. That's a real scary thing. And also, Jill Biden needs to make sure she does not uh, associate the Hispanic people here in Texas with breakfast tacos again. Right. I think we should listen to that one more time. Cut one. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, (laughs) is your strength. Wow. Uh, what do you Bogodaz. say? And Bogodas, yeah. I was, you know, obviously she's following the news. Because if you didn't know how to say bodega, if you're following the news, this is the number one story in New York and one of the top stories around the country. And she doesn't know how to say it. And this is a teacher, all right? A, te- a, a teacher in a diverse community and a doctorate. Yeah. Who knows what that's in? So it's congratulations, Joe. Linguistics. Yeah, she's uh, your, your first lady. Now she has since apologized. Uh, she didn't mean to insult the Hispanic people. But uh, Joe Biden is shedding Hispanic voters every minute, and mm-hmm. that will not help. Colonel West, thanks so much. No, it won't. Oh. All right, go get him. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, Washington Democrats are taking pains to ignore that. Remember, their party has become jaw-droppingly extreme on this issue. More than 60% of Americans support restrictions after 15 weeks. Only 19% of Americans want abortion on demand until the moment of birth. But 97% of Washington Democrats support precisely that. 97% of Washington Democrats are with less than one-fifth of the country on this issue. So since Roe v. Wade and the actual decision itself, so much has built off that. First, the misinformation from the White House saying that they're going to stop women from traveling across state lines. They'll be arrested if you're in a state that doesn't allow abortion and you go to a state that does. How about the fact you're going to block contraception? Isn't that ridiculous? Same-sex marriage? Isn't that next? All of that stuff does not exist. Was not a, it's not going to be a ripple effect. It won't take place. But you know what is a ripple effect of Roe v. Wade? The Supreme Court justices, safety and security. And I don't care what you do, the most, uh, whether you're AOC or whether you're Bernie Sanders or Mitch McConnell or Justice Kavanaugh, 
You should be able to go to an amusement park. You should be able to go out to eat. You should be able to go back to your house and not be protested. That is not the American way. I understand people have a freedom of speech, but you should not be going to people's homes, harassing them. And if they do it as president of the United States, pulling, coming up to 80 years old, can you possibly do the right thing? Some people are writing me to get some feedback this on this block, so I'm going to read some of those out loud. Uh, you go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, about gun control, no Republican should no Republican should discuss any new or old gun laws until Hunter Biden is arrested for his many gun crimes and many other crimes. By the way, the message should be shouted from the rooftops every time anybody ever brings it up. So that's important too. Uh, more gun control and assi- and assigning attempts uh, uh, and assigning attempts on Supreme Court justices. You know the Justice Department uh, ain't going to do anything about it. Is there any response? Uh, let's just go. Uh, for the focus should be on inflation. David, listen on WXJB uh, over in Spring Hill, Florida. Hey, David. Good morning. I love your show. Love what you're doing for our country. Please keep going. I will. Uh, you had my man on, uh, Colonel Allen West. I'm retired lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Army myself, 28 years. Here's the point, and you brought it up, uh, and it comes up not enough. Uh, the Russians have troops in the Ukraine. How many troops? Well, maybe they got 100,000 or whatever, okay? We in the United States have an invisible invading army in the United States by possibly worldwide military age forces, age 18 to 40, wearing black uniforms. We don't know their background. We don't know their training. We don't know their intent. Maybe they're not carrying guns right now, but of course they come across knowing they can get lots of guns in the United States. Is it just at some point in time where someone in the Soviet Union or China or wherever will give a signal and say, okay, boys, go get them, and the people form up, and we are officially invaded. Right now we're unofficially invaded, just as in the Ukraine. When is our government going to wake up? When are our people going to wake up? How are we going to defend ourselves if the government won't support the United States of America? Good point. And and, and the election. Thanks so much for your service. Uh, Meanwhile, the election's coming up, and I think they're going to get blasted uh, because of it. I mean, who is for a broken border? We used to debate things like for people who've been here over 10 years, should they have a pathway to citizenship? Now there's so many people here illegal. The president wants to talk about a pathway to uh, to citizenship. Nobody's on board with that question, let alone the answer. So this uh, this email comes to me from Joe. I won't say the last name. Uh, he said, you know, just talk about the difference in our country, carjacking. Years ago, there was zero crime in Little Italy, in Baltimore City, Italian neighborhoods with great restaurants. Thugs didn't set foot in Little Italy. It was well protected by the residents. Thugs stayed away. Tourists used to flock there, great American restaurants like Ask Jim Palmer, the legendary uh, pitcher. Not so much anymore. Tourists stay away. Thugs have moved in. A manager of one of those restaurants was shot and killed after being robbed. So that's some of the things that's happening. And I think that's pretty consistent. The areas the, uh, the areas that were usually impervious to this crime are now in the middle of it, whether it's Beverly Hills or whether it's San Francisco who gave us the smashing grabs. Baltimore, another one from Baltimore. So far this year, 188 homicides, 381 non-fatal shootings. Nobody cares. Nobody seems to care. And Democrats are in charge. No Republicans even tries to run anymore. I'm Brian Kilmeade. On BrianKillMe.com. I want you to find, you'll see where I will be, and we have four major events coming up one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one in Newark, New Jersey, got another one over in Missouri, 
and a big one in uh, and a big one also in Albany, New York. Check it out on BrianKillMe.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you out of live from New York, heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine, which is war-torn, uh, but using our money to make some real damage. Uh, we're going to be joined uh, shortly by Area Light- Lightstone. Uh, he's a former senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to Israel, special envoy to the Abraham Accords, and author of the new book, Let My People Know, the incredible story of Middle East peace and what lies ahead. Underreported around the world, around this country anyway, is the incredible Abraham Accords and, and how it set the table for the president to have a lot of success on this trip if he doesn't blow it up like everything else that Donald Trump was a part of. Tom Rinaldi, one of the finest journalists in sports, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll do a simulcast on FBN. The president, excuse me, the president of Mexico is having breakfast with the vice president. That should be entertaining. And then at noon, uh, she, he should be making his way over to the White House. They'll do a light spray and they will will not take any questions because it's Joe Biden. And then they'll meet where the president's are going to emphasize a pathway to citizenship. You believe that? Not a uh, not a. Being not blistering the Mexican leader for not uh, backing up his own southern border, which is destroying our southern border. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs. Not a whisper anywhere. We do most of the DNA analysis in Ohio. There is no case request for analysis that looks anything like this. Uh, Yeah, that is David Yost talking about Roe v. Wade, the anarchy around it. One story in which the president says his 10-year-old had to leave Ohio uh, and go to India, leave Indiana and go to Ohio in order to get an abortion uh, after she was raped. The problem is nobody knows where the hell that story came from. And everyone's looking into it. Number two. Today will be the second time that Mexico's president has visited the White House since President Biden took office. There's no shortage of topics the two men are expected to discuss, whether it be the economy, climate change, and yes, immigration. The White House under intense pressure from both parties to address what's happening with the migrant crisis. Uh, Yeah, that was uh, Mark Meredith talking about what's happening now uh, overseas. President Biden's big international challenges line up this week. One, with Mexico, as I mentioned today. Number two, with Israel and their leader, who should be told, we have your back. Number three, Saudi Arabia, they need to make peace with Israel and unite officially against Iran. Not too hard, right? The problem is, these are Trump policies and they worked. Number one. You would think with 33 uh, percent approval rating, his, he's in the doldrums, that Donald Trump would beat him in an overall poll, not just Democrats, but Republicans and independents. So don't compare me to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative. Yeah, right now, Joe's numbers are terrible. But in one poll, he does beat President Trump. Joe, shut the, do- shut the lights on the way out. That's the message that Dems are sending to President Biden as his age and underwhelming performance has Dems scrambling for a replacement. That's no joke. Uh, Aria, uh, Aria Lightstone joins us now. Thanks so much for joining us, Aria. Congratulations on the book. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And again, the name of the book is Let My People Know, The Incredible Story of Middle East Peace and What Lies Ahead. 
Uh, Aria, they told us impossible. They'll never, you'll never get the, uh, the Middle East to uh, any Middle East nation outside Egypt and Jordan to recognize Israel because there's no Palestinian state, including John Kerry, the former Secretary of State. How did this come together? Well, basically, the opposite of whatever John Kerry has said to be impossible, almost by definition, is possible. Uh, what America did prior to President Trump was it did not look after American interests. And with David Friedman and Jared Kushner and Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley, uh, President Trump put America first, uh, in Israel especially. Remember, the first major action was the recognition of Jerusalem and the moving of the embassy. Whose embassy did we move to Jerusalem? It was our embassy. And why didn't we move that embassy? Because other people told us not to, right? Israel's capital is Jerusalem with or without the United States of America. It was our embassy that we refused to put in Jerusalem. And that was an embarrassment to America, not to anybody else, because other countries told us not to. And President Trump had the courage and the conviction to do the right thing. And instead of it alienating the rest, it didn't happen because people started seeing that Israel is not a threat and never was a military threat. Every action you've taken is in defense. It just so happens you have better military and more disciplined, better fighting force than everybody else in the region. Having got over their egos, in comes Egypt, in comes Jordan. But then something else happened. The emergence of Iran and the recognition in, in most of the Sunni nations that Iran is the problem. America is committed to taking on Iran. And then a light bulb went off, Correct. You are exactly correct, and I'm happy that you point that out. It, it used to be part of the policy that if you can solve Israel and the Palestinian issue, that the Middle East would be peaceful. That's baloney. It's always been baloney. And when America under Trump said Israel is the solution, not the problem, Iran is the problem and not the solution, suddenly you've got Middle East peace breaking out, and it was only stalled by the lack of ability to be clear on those two issues. So the nations that came aboard, refresh my memory, well, Bahrain, Morocco, United Arab Emirates, Sudan, and Kosovo. So the five. This is so. This more than all the nations combined in Israel's existence. Only two had recognized. You doubled it, and now on the doorstep is Saudi Arabia. Do you think they'll make the next step? I would argue that the entire Middle East. It's a question of when, and not if. And it's really a question of American leadership here. Uh, had there been a second term with the leadership of the president and the secretary of state and my boss, David Friedman, and Jared Kushner and Avi Berkowitz, there would be 10 more countries that would have joined in because, look, peace pays. And all of these countries are competitive with each other when there's a peace dividend, especially given by the United States of America when we act like the superpower that we are, then every country is incentivized to create peace. And every country wants to stand with the United States against our enemies. When we're unclear, then these countries gravitate towards China, towards Russia, and towards Iran. So right now, President Trump's approval rating is 71 percent. It may be even higher now in Israel. Uh, Joe Biden's at 60 percent, still high, especially when considers 33 percent here. Why the difference? Well, first of all, Israel loves America. And Israel tries very hard not to be involved with the politics of America, it's become increasingly more difficult. Once upon a time, across the board in the United States of America, we all supported Israel because, frankly, it's an American policy to be pro-Israel. There's a progressive, growing progressive uh, popularity to be anti-Israel. It's not just cautious on Israel, it's anti-Israel. And that's reflective in the Democratic Party, which is a shame. Israelis know that. But Israelis also know at their core that the progressives don't represent America. Uh, they love 
America. The, the line for visas at the U.S. Embassy is the longest than anywhere else in the world. They do it legally. They do it properly. They grow more businesses here. There are more Israeli businesses on NASDAQ than any other country other than the United States of America and Canada. They, they adore America, but they love Trump. They love Trump. They love Pompeo. They love Friedman because, look, we were, this was the first administration that stood shoulder to shoulder with Israel on every issue publicly right. and privately where we had disagree, uh, disagreements, especially on China. We were very clear, but we did it privately, not publicly. Listen, uh, Arya, there was no question as soon as Hamas uh, evidently won an election during the Bush administration, we can't deal with the terrorist nation. They've done nothing for the Palestinian people. Many of the Palestinians work in Israel proper, correct? And they, oh, absolutely. And they're, they're treated with great respect. But the, the problem is a couple of things. Ask, answer this question. Anwar Sadat says, I'm going to recognize with Menachem Begin, I'm going to recognize Israel's right to exist and recognize and have a relations with, a, with this nation. He gets assassinated. Mubarak ends up taking over. Uh, understood. And then, you know, Jordan was able to do it, but the, the population in many respects wasn't pleased with it. So now, if, even if you have leadership that understands Israel's not a threat and would be a great ally, what happened to the masses that allowed the leadership to make this decision? What happened on the ground? Right. So you're, you're talking about a pivot in the Middle East. Once upon a time, these leaders existed because they had guns. Now these leaders exist because they've got jobs and opportunity. If you've been to the United Arab Emirates or to Morocco or to Bahrain, they're truly light in a somewhat dark and dim region. Uh, they look at Israel as a way to accelerate their growth. And the people in those countries have been taught for the last dozens of years about tolerance and acceptance and advancement. You know, the United Arab Emirates has fought alongside us, the United States of America, in every engagement since 9-11. Uh, they adore and love freedom and respect and tolerance. And because they've trained their people in that, they're very welcoming mm -hmm. of the Abraham Accords. If you look at the other countries, which teach incitement and hatred and anti-Semitism, it'll take more than a generation to mm -hmm. overcome that, but it will be overcome if you look, and you, you pointed this out so incredibly insightfully, one of the great beneficiaries of the Abraham Accords is Egypt. Egypt has had a cold peace since 1979, uh, but that peace has warmed because of the Abraham Accords. They now have, quote, permission from other Arab countries to say, look, you don't need to be in a shooting war with Israel. You should be business partners with Israel. And there are now today, for the first time in more than 10 years, direct flights daily from Egypt to Israel with business people, a little bit of tourism, but that'll grow. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking to Aria Lightstone. He's got a brand new book out. You got to pick it up, Cole. Let my people know. The other thing is I found unbelievably discouraging as an American and as somebody who likes the West, we want to re-enter. America wants to re-enter the Iranian peace deal written in 2015, are about to evaporate anyway without direct talks using Russia to broker this deal. How has that almost ruptured, or how has that affected American relations in the region? So something that you've said, and you've led on this with the Ukraine-Russia uh, issue that, that was exacerbated by our government, uh, the only place where Russians are allowed in polite company today is brokering the deal with Iran. And that's insane. If you say that sentence out loud, that we allow Russia to help us broker a deal with Iran. Just today it was reported that Iran is going to be supplying Russia with attack drones. Yep. And yet we're still trying to get into a deal with Iran. They've proven to be liars. They've proven to be cheaters. They are the greatest cause of havoc 
in the Middle East, and we're running to get into bed with these people. It makes no sense. And when you want to talk about lack of credibility, President Biden is going to land in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and he's going to approach the leadership there. He's done nothing meaningful to protect our allies, the Saudis, from attacks from Iran. And as he runs towards Iran, but he wants to make Saudi a pariah nation, they know that it's, 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 it's all pandering. And even worse than that, he's showing up to Saudi when we need their energy. When President Trump showed up to Saudi, he showed up as somebody who was going to bring America into energy independence, and he did that. That's negotiating through strength, not through weakness. This is once again leading from behind whatever that sentence means. Yeah, the President Biden did two things that were befuddling. He's in the old Middle East. He never credited the Abraham Accords, never uses that word, mm-hmm. never— there's a brand new Middle East. He won't even acknowledge it. But by going back to the Iranian deal and calling Saudi Arabia a pariah state, uh, those two things were against American foreign policy interest. Here's yeah. Jake Sullivan on where he goes from here. Cut 10. Do you see any potential to ease or, or smooth relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia on this trip? It is our uh, hope and expectation uh, that as we look out into the future, we can help facilitate Israel's deeper integration into the region across the board. Specifically with respect to Israel and Saudi Arabia, I'm not going to get ahead of very intensive work that will be done in the course of this trip. Uh, Any normalization of any kind would be a long process, but looking for progress and momentum in that direction is certainly something we are focused on as we head off to the Middle East. So, I mean, he's looking to capitalize. You basically got it to the one-yard line. The question is, will they run it over after deciding to uh, to take a knee on three downs, to consider the analogy? Uh, look, I rooted for the Broncos in the 80s. That's what we did, ran the ball, you know, three three times in a row, and then Elway made something happen on fourth down. Uh, I'll, root, I'll root for America because that's what we're all supposed to do. And if they pivot and decide that peace in the Middle East is actually an American ideal, which it is, then I'll stand there and cheer alongside, I think, everybody else who worked so hard with the Abraham Accords. But one of the recipes that's essential to creating peace in the Middle East is trust. And that trust is going to be very difficult to earn back. You know, President Biden is, wants to open up a consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians. He right now is being reported today that he's going to visit East Jerusalem without any Israeli officials, which really calls into question America's view of sovereignty of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, which is a settled law from 1995, it's tough to build trust if you send the wrong messages in the region. That's interesting. He is going to East Jerusalem, and that is what many people project is the goal of the Palestinians to make it their capital. Would that be acceptable for Israel? Absolutely not, right? I mean, Israel has proclaimed Jerusalem to be the undivided and eternal capital. You know, from Israel's perspective, that's a 3,000-year-old dream that came into fruition 70 almost five years ago, and they're the only ally that we have in the region that has never asked for a single U.S. troop to stand there and fight for them. They fight for freedom, and, and frankly, if they didn't solve so many of the problems in the Middle East, they, more problems would come to us here in America. Understood. Uh, lastly, uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm out of time, but Donald Trump did weigh in yesterday on the Abraham Accords. Aria, you made history. Uh, hopefully the president won't blow it. Uh, former senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to Israel, special envoy of the Abraham Accords, and author of the book, Let My People Know. Aria Lightstone, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. one 408 7669 The president goes overseas. What should his Mexico message to Mexican President uh, Obrador be today? 
We'll talk about that as well as the president's numbers from the New York Times poll are stunningly bad. Why? Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, <laughs> is your strength. And keep in mind, too, they just don't have to be for breakfast anymore. They can be, uh, if Hispanic people are listening, they don't just have to be for breakfast. They can be for dinner because it is Taco Tuesday. That was Jill Biden uh, doing her best impression of her husband. Reading the prompter with obviously the staff is as weak for her as it is for the president. They talked about characterizing Hispanics as tacos and talked about bogodas when she means bodegas. So in an attempt to reclaim some Hispanic voters after a bad showing for Democrats on Election Day and shedding them by the dozens on percentage points, too, she does that speech in San Antonio yesterday. She has since apologized, but it didn't go over well at all. When you think about the number of people that heard that and say, did she just compare all Hispanics to tacos? This is incredible. I thought we booked the first lady, a doctor, a teacher, mostly she claims in minorities communities. But I guess it doesn't really matter because it's the Bidens and they're going to get a pass. I am sure nobody else is running this, which is unbelievable because there's only one president. I'm not asking you to avoid uh, to avoid a Democratic leader or a Democratic lawmaker. I'm talking about a major Hispanic address when she calls it Bogota and tacos. That's what she labels everybody. Now, did she mean it? Sure she didn't. But did she pre-read the copy? She's an educator. I'm not sure. I would say no. Took her 24 hours to apologize. That's also bad staff. When we come back, Tom Rinaldi will join us, one of the finest sports journalists in the country. He's got a brand new, a brand new podcast. You're going to love the story he's covering today. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Some of the greats of the game knew how special Lyman Bostock's talent was. Hall of Famers like George Brett and Rod Carew. We could be talking about a Hall of Fame player, a 3,000 hit guy, and just one of the greatest players ever to play the game. I would have started worrying about winning batting titles because he told me once, he says, I'm going to catch you. But Bostock, known by his family and friends as Wesley, never had the chance to reach his true prime or seize the greatness that seemed to lay just ahead. That ended on a fateful corner in a deadly city. Yes, uh, that is Lyman Bostock, somebody we're familiar with, baseball fans are. Probably not the middle name Wesley, but that is the name of the first serialized documentary series from Tom Rinaldi. It tells the gripping, heartbreaking story of how he was uh, the first player to be killed in season while being along with being one of the best hitters in baseball. Tom Rinaldi joins us now. Tom, congratulations. You're the perfect person to launch this series. Was it your idea? 
It was, Brian. Thanks for having me. Always good to hear your voice. Appreciate it. And uh, I came to, to the folks at Fox Sports about a year ago. Uh, we were talking about the audio content and narrative podcasts and podcasts that tell a story and unfold across episodes. And as you know, Brian, how big that content has become, how much people have become engrossed by hearing a story told across multiple episodes. And I came to Fox with this story, which I had told in part 14 years ago when I worked at ESPN. And they seemed excited about it. And here we are pretty much a year later getting ready to launch this eight-part episodic podcast about Lyman Bostock Jr. And it's just audio, right? Just audio. That's correct. And we'll get it at any, you, you know, you can get it on foxsports.com, but can you get it wherever you get uh, you get your you podcast? Can get it, exactly. You can get it on, um, on Apple. You can get it on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. The first four episodes, there are eight in total, Brian, launch next Monday, the day before the All-Star game. All right. And so these, all, these episodes, how did you decide what to cover? Uh, what are you going to be looking at? So when you take a step back and you consider the length of history of Major League Baseball, Right, more than 150 years, and there's only ever been one player to be murdered during a season, and that it didn't happen, Brian, 100 years ago. It happened in the 1970s, in 1978, and it happened to a player who you just heard from George Brett and Rod Carew, Hall of Famers, legends in the game, who believed that this guy could have been a 3,000-hit player. He could have been in strong consideration for Cooperstown, and yet his life and his career ended through an absolute tragedy and mistake on the very end of the season, his fourth season in 1978. We ask ourselves to a degree, Brian, why don't more people know this story of this remarkable player, the son of a Negro Leagues player, a player who Reggie Jackson came out to try to recruit for the Yankees, a player prized by George Steinbrenner, a guy who got in a terrible slump after he signed a big contract. You tell me, Brian, if anyone else comes to mind in any sport who would ever do this and tried to refuse his first month's salary because he felt he hadn't earned it. And when the team paid it to him, he still gave it away to charity. That's just one of the things that make up the fascinating character that is Lyman Bostock. Tom Rinaldi, our guest, that he's host of uh, Wesley, Fox Sports' first serialized documentary. Tom, without giving it away, I mean, what do you feel comfortable saying led to this without stopping people from, to, from tuning in? Well, well there, there are a number of things that I think as people listen to this, some of the voices that, you're, that you'll hear – We heard from George Brett. We hear from Rod Carew. We hear from members of Lyman's family. But it also, toward the later episodes, Brian, becomes a crime procedural because while it's not the absolute center of Lyman's story, it is a crucial part of his story, his murder, and what becomes of the man who murdered him, who never denies that he raised a gun and fired at point-blank range. And who remarkably, in the words of Jack Crawford, the man who prosecuted him, and who breaks down, Brian, 40-plus years later in tears about what happened, says that Leonard Smith, 
got away with murder. He got away with it. This tells you the story of how that happened, how that led to an almost immediate change in the, in the laws criminally in the state of Indiana. All the things that came from this huge sensational story, which remarkably has largely been forgotten through time. And, of course, Simon Bostock got, got there just in time for free agency. He was able to experience yes. some of that. Uh, but you have you know, some great hitters in this era. you got George Brett, you got Rod Carew, both on record. Outside Pete Rose, probably the two best, uh, maybe uh, Rod Carew the best ever. Uh, uh, the great, just great, all-time great-time hitters. How hard was it to get them to talk about this? Very easy, Brian. And one of the things that connects George Brett to this story is that Brett's brother was a teammate of Lyman's. And in what we believe is a a very gripping moment in one of the later episodes, at Lyman's funeral, which was back in Los Angeles, Lyman was murdered in Gary, Indiana. A few days later, the team went back to mourn him, along with a thousand-plus others in a church in Vermont Square, that neighborhood in Los Angeles. Young manager, first-year manager Jim Fergosi was supposed to be the person who spoke on behalf of the team, but was so overcome by his own emotion that he turned without any prompting to George's brother, Ken, a pitcher on the team, Brian, and asked Ken without any preparation or advance warning to stand up at the pulpit and speak for him and on behalf of the team. You hear some of that audio from that eulogy and you hear George become emotional thinking about what his brother went through in eulogizing his teammate. You hear Rod Carew, who was a clear mentor to Lyman and who could see this, this young player's incredible appetite for the game, his desire to learn from an older, more established veteran who was clearly on his way to the Hall of Fame. Uh, some of the other teammates we hear from, Kenny Landro, Carney Lansford, Carney Lansford, This team, the Angels, Brian, played a game later the same day. Lyman died very early the morning of September 24th. The Angels played an afternoon game that day. Wow. That's inconceivable to think about happening today. And in his first at bat, his rookie teammate, Carney Lansford, batting in Lyman's slot in the batting order, what do you think he did in his first at bat? He home. hit a home run. Wow. Uh, Just some of the small parts that make up the greater mosaic of this podcast and Lyman story. All right. And it's, it opens up July 18th. You'll have four episodes immediately available all across the major podcast platforms, Apple and Spotify and FoxSports.com, uh, as well as the Fox Sports app. Uh, so we'll look forward to that, Tom. And what else do you, uh, what other series do you have, do you have queued up or are you thinking about? So we just want to let people know, Brian, you get the first four episodes the day of launch, July 18th, a week later, episode five and six, and a week after that, episode seven and the finale, episode eight. Um, we're going to have you know, a feature with Aaron Judge coming up for our All-Star Game coverage. We're super excited about the Field of Dreams. I know how much you love that. Baseball fans love that incredible event last summer. We're back for that again this summer. And then, of course, 
it's a fall to remember as we roll into college football, the NFL, and the World Cup. So it'll be a busy time. We love it. Absolutely. The other area of your expertise is golf. You know, there's controversy now with this Live Tour as well as right. the PGA. And we've got the British Open. They told uh, they told uh, Greg, Greg Norman. Norman, stay home, even though you won it twice because we're <laughs> upset that you started this Live Tour that's uh, financed by the Sally Wealth Fund. First off, Tom, as, as a purist as you are, as much as you know golf and the golfers personally and the great right. features you've done, would you, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about these two tours? I think it's been really interesting to see the emergence, Brian, right, of some of the golfers who have clearly become lead voices, like Rory McIlroy, who has become a staunch defender of the PGA Tour, softened his stance for just one moment in one interview with the BBC, and now has sort of doubled down again. Tiger addressed the media just today in fact, and said, yeah. I'm paraphrasing him, he essentially felt like players are turning their back on the tour that made them. It will be so interesting to see how these two tours ultimately shake out. The PGA Tour is so deeply established, of course, but they, the Live Tour has gotten huge players, major winners, top 15 players in the world to come over. We'll have to see how it ultimately manifests, and world ranking points will be a big part of that, Brian. And will they left? Yeah, will they get points for playing and winning those tournaments? And will the majors allow the live players to play? Because that, that's when the rubber could hit the road. Tom, congratulations on your new series. Host, uh, uh, you're the host of Wesley, the first episode, Fox Sports' first serialized documentary uh, and documentary series. It's a podcast. And go to wherever you get podcasts. It begins, it drops, so to speak, July 18th. Tom Rinaldi, thanks so much. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, we're going to go on FBN and Stuart Varney, Varney and Company. We'll talk about what we just were talking with Tom Rinaldi about moments ago, and that is the Live Golf Tournament, the PGA, the big rivalry. So let's listen in together. On the Live Golf Controversy. Just watch this for a second. Roll it. The players who have chosen to go to Live and, and to play on, um, to play there, I, I disagree with it. Um, I think that uh, what they've done is they've, they've turned their, their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. You know, Brian, there is really a huge division in the world of golf right now. It, it does, not looking good, is it? I don't know. Uh, it depends. I mean, from the player's perspective, we're used to this in football. Uh, you know, free agency uh, and the NFL was challenged by the USFL, the WFL, uh, the XFL for a while. They failed, but it was an open market. This live tournament, they feel as though the PGA, according to the players, the PGA has had way too much power for too long in terms of prize money, qualifications, and things like that. It has made them wealthy. Absolutely. It is a nonprofit. Absolutely true. But what happens is the second time Greg Norman has headed up an effort to be a, form a, a world league, give an alternative. The PGA has already responded by upping prize money and changing uh, some of the things that, that have bothered the players. So already the free market has worked. 
What Tiger Woods goes on to point out and says, listen, they're getting big appearance fees. Where's the incentive to win? In the PGA, you have to win. If you don't make the cut, you make less money. You win the tournament, you make more money. There's not, you have huge appearance fees. There's not that thirst. Also, they play one less day, so one less round overall. Brooks Kepka. You're talking about Dustin Johnson. You're talking about Phil Mickelson. You're talking about uh, Sergio Garcia. They want to be able to play for those turn play in those yeah. tournaments, and then play in the majors. The key is going to be Stewart. Can you play in the British Open, the U.S. Yep. Open, the PGA, and the Masters, and play with this Saudi Wealth Fund-backed World League? That's going to be key. But what happened with the Justice Department is also key. They are looking at the PGA to investigate to see if it's a yep. monopoly, to see if other yep. leagues, the Stuart Varney Golf League, could start tomorrow. Is the yep. PGA allowing for that to happen? Oh, I, I take your point entirely. I think the Justice Department could really go after the PGA on antitrust grounds and loosen up negotiations to get both of these leagues getting going properly. That might happen. I, I just want to turn to AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Now, she's used a number of bodegas in New York as photo ops, but she's absolutely silent on the bodega owner who was attacked uh, and uh, who killed his attacker now being charged with murder. Where is AOC, Brian? Has she ever done anything that is an ultra-left wing? You have Mayor, the Mayor Adams, who's obviously African-American mayor in New York City, Democrat, came out and said, listen, I'm with the owner. That gave her cover if she wanted to come out and say, you know, there's been 350 robberies so far this year. Uh, it's up substantially from last year of bodegas. I have no idea why they keep hitting them up. But some of these people just go in, they steal stuff, and they, they go to jail. They get processed, they come right back out because no one ever stays in jail in New York anymore. And then you have this, this one that could have been deadly for the worker, ends up being deadly for the gangster. So he ends up dead. A perfect time for her to say, stop picking on my minority community uh, and start right. protecting them. You know, and she doesn't because she never does. There's no courage there. You know, Brian, I stole your idea. I said, what would have happened to this bodega uh, owner and the criminal if there was no videotape? I picked up on what you said last week on this because you're quite right. If there was no tape, that bodega guy would be in prison for the rest of his life. And the, the guy who did the, uh, the, you know, the muscling, he'd be a hero. I think you were right on this. Yeah, and not only that, the, you know what the tape revealed? In the beginning, you see the interaction. You see the guy get knifed, even though the woman uh, who started this whole thing because her EBT card was empty, that's a, a food stamp card was empty, she goes in there and says, give it to me anyway. There's something on the card. You're lying to me. I'm going to get my boyfriend, and you're going to be in trouble. I use, use a different term, and you're going to be in trouble. He comes back, a, a career criminal, comes back and starts threatening. Then we see more of the tape. Not only was he threatened and he taken the knife and they have this confrontation, he gets behind the counter, that's insignificant. Then you see him say, I don't want any trouble, that's significant. Then you see him try to get by the yeah. guy and just get out of the way, meaning yeah. he could have grabbed the register and he would not let him by. So he goes, okay, strike one, strike two, strike three, yep. it's me or you, Look, and you're going to die. I'm out of time, but Alvin Bragg has got to go, and I think you'll agree with that. Yeah, Brian, no we'll see you again soon. Thanks, okay. Lamont. Absolutely. Still Stuart Barney, thank you. One uh, eight. I even forgot that I did say that, but I am. I was brilliant last week. Maybe more brilliant than I even imagined. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's see if I can squeeze in Matt. Matt, you're over in North Carolina. Hey, Matt. Yes. What's on your mind? Um, about Biden's approval ratings. How come they're not at zero? I told your your call screener Pete. I, I don't know why they're not at zero. He does nothing right. 
Well, I mean, I guess you could say you got bipartisan gun legislation. I guess you could say bipartisan infrastructure. I guess you could say that what pleases the ultra left. You could say he got the rescue plan. Uh, he embarrassed this nation uh, for the first time substantially in Afghanistan. We're coming up to the year anniversary on that. No one's given him a second look, and they shouldn't. He defied everybody and all his advisors supposedly in doing it. Advisors show no backbone in staying in their jobs. But in the meantime, he defamed all those who fought that war and then left Americans behind. We're never going to forgive him for that. But there are certain Democrats and the certain Republicans are always going to stick with who's ever in power. Well, my friend from North Carolina, who comes on before you, uh, very much likes your show. He loves it. Well, I appreciate that. I wherever that is, I I appreciate that. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Listen, if you're listening to me right now, you'll have an opportunity to see me in person, and it's indeed a thrill. August twenty fifth. It is uh, uh, unabashedly red, white, and blue. Uh, I go on stage, be able to talk about my books, talk about Fox, talk about what's going on, be able to take your questions and do what I like doing most, and that's interact with you in the audience. You go to briankillme.com, find out where I'll be, and I'll see you live and in person. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I will be Brian Kilmeade at least for the next hour. Coming to you from New York, 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Don't come exactly where we are. I won't give my exact location away. Because my guest is concerned about his security. Uh, it is Charlie Hurt. Uh, and Senator Lindsey Graham at the bottom of the hour. Lindsey Graham just found out he's got to testify now. He got subpoenaed and got his uh, uh, protest rejected. So he's got to go testify on what happened uh, in Georgia. I don't think he minds or else, personally, I don't think he'd be on the show. <laughs> but I'll get him a chance to talk about it. Uh, Charlie, do you want to say hello before I do the big three? Hello. Right. You're looking more, ha- even more handsome than you were this morning. That's what Pete was saying. And I said, Pete, are you kidding? And he, and I th- he says, no, I'm not. And now I realize he was right. He was not kidding. You, you, you have confirmation. Right. It's been confirmed. I finally have a second source. But Nobody gets second sources anymore in Washington. But why did you put your jacket back on for me? Because you, you take were, it off for Stu, because and then you put it back on for me. That's a couple of reasons. Look at the two shot. uncomfortable. We were just in the two shot. Now, we're on Fox Nation. Uh, and the two shot, the last thing I want is to be outdressed by my guest, right? <laughs> I do enjoy being outdressed by everybody in radio because you've seen radio guys, right? Well, you have a face for radio. Radio guys have just you ever don't heard that wear anything. Yeah, they've got really, a face for it. And it hurts my feelings every time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, which, but, but then again, I do have makeup on from this morning. <laughs> so let's go to the big It's not three. working. That hurts. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs. Not a whisper anywhere. We do most of the DNA analysis in Ohio. There is no case request for analysis that looks anything like this. And that's the AG, David Yost, talking about this crazy story that the President uh, Biden said of a 10-year-old having to leave the state to get an abortion. It didn't happen after she'd been raped. They can't find this story. But it didn't stop the President and his speechwriters and his staff from putting it in his copy. Roe v. Wade anarchy. Not just the abortion, but with the security and politics around it we'll discuss. Number two. Today will be the second time that Mexico's president has visited the White House since President Biden 
took office. There's no shortage of topics the two men are expected to discuss, whether it be the economy, climate change, and yes, immigration. The White House under intense pressure from both parties to address what's happening with the migrant crisis. President Biden's big international challenges line up this week, one with Mexico and the president today. He needs to be told, the president of Mexico, that is, to enforce his southern border or get tariffs. Number two, Israel's leader, who should be told, we have your back. Number three, Saudi Arabia. They need to make peace with Israel and unite against Iran. This is not too hard, right? The problem is, these are everything that Trump was doing and were working. Number one. You would think with 33 uh, percent approval rating, his, he's in the doldrums, that Donald Trump would beat him in an overall poll, not just Democrats, but Republicans and independents. So don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. That was Laura Fink of Robel Communications talking about a brand new poll. And it reads like this. Joe, shut the lights out. You're on the way out. That's the message Dems are sending to President Biden as his age and underwhelming performance has Dems scrambling. So, Charlie, uh, you are not only a Fox News contributor, you write for The Washington Times, and it's great to see you. It's great to see you. New York Times and Siena does a poll, and it's stunningly bad. I mean, even during the height of the Russia investigation, all the problems that uh, Trump was having with the media lined up against him, he's never had poll numbers with 33 percent approval rating. He has Democrats. 26 percent of Democrats say nominate Joe Biden for a second term. 64 percent say no. 10 percent say I don't have an idea up against this. In terms of young people, uh, do you think the Democratic Party should nominate Joe Biden in 2024 for people under 30? 94% against Joe Biden, who are Democrats. Yeah, Why staggering. would the New York Times put this in? Why would we put this out now? Oh, I think that they are. Well, first of all, we're nearing the end of the remove Trump from office operation. Of course, they couldn't just give it up on, on election day. <laughs> they had to keep it going. Got an impeachment before he left. Yeah, exactly. They had to keep it going. And now we're having a third impeachment, uh, which is, I think, ridiculous. And I don't think anybody is paying attention. But, um, yeah, so we're sort of nearing the end of that. And they're realizing that actually uh, Joe Biden has turned out to be a catastrophe. The biggest difference polling-wise between Trump and Biden is that, like, Trump got low numbers for – Trump could be sort of unlikable, especially after all the, the media throws – billions of dollars worth of like rancid uh propaganda against him and as a much fighter it, he's going to blow yeah, try to blow and, oh, yeah and then he fights back and 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 when he fights back he's he can be uh not so pleasant when he fights back um but what's interesting and this is the more i think about this i think this is a really important thing the truth of the matter is i think the reason that democrats the media and even a lot of Republicans in Washington and everybody in Washington so despised Trump is because on the issues, we've never had a more popular politician in Washington on the issues. It's true. And they loved the, the results, but they didn't necessarily like the messenger. And so, uh, you know, so, so we are where we are now. And you have this guy. And the re- whole reason the Democrats got behind Joe Biden is because they figured, OK, this guy is a harmless messenger and he can carry forward. And th- that's all we, we uh, that's all we need out of him. And then it turns out he gets in the White House and he starts doing stuff. And everything he touches turns to dirt and and whether it's and then and not and it's and obviously the the border thing to me is the most important thing because without that you don't have a country, 
But it's not just things like the border, which you mainly see on TV. And obviously there's some – there's a lot of impact in, for people in their personal lives. But it's not like gas prices and inflation. That stuff, you don't have to walk out the door to feel that stuff. That is – it doesn't get more personal than that. And the same with uh, the crime situation where people – you know, maybe a lot of Americans live in neighborhoods or out in the country like I do, and you don't necessarily feel the crime on a day-to-day basis. But a lot of voters, particularly in large cities, they feel the crime. It's out, it, the statistics show it, and it's right outside their door. And this is, and and all of these things can be di- linked directly to the policies of this president. Now, you maybe you have to help me out with this, but first, I'm going to read this number. Uh, what's the most important reason you would prefer someone else other than Joe Biden to be the Democratic Party's 2024 presidential nominee among Democratic primary voters? So 33% say age, 32% say performance, 12% say prefer someone else, 10% not progressive enough, 4% ability to win. So Biden's approval ratings I mentioned is 33%. And I want to get this out because in the same poll, they said he beats Trump. So which is, which uh, okay. is bizarre no, no, because last week's we'll poll had Trump with a higher approval yeah. rating. Yeah. Also, these are also the people that have um, ghosted Trump voters forever. But we'll get to that. No, the most important thing is the 33 percent age, 32 percent issues. Can I just I'll just translate that for us. That amounts to 65 percent unhappy with his policies. End of story. People say the 33 percent say age because they don't want to be mean. That's 33 percent. Hate his policies, but they don't want to be. But they're too nice to say, "Oh no, he's horrible. He's caused all this misery in my family." And and so they just say, "We think maybe he's a little old, and maybe he shouldn't be president." It's because it's thirty three percent who hate his policies and feel sorry for him. That's what that means. So it's sixty five percent. You can't get sixty five percent of Americans to agree on anything. It's true, but see, Charlie. First, I want to let you hear Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre. Push back. I admire your pronunciation. That's very impressive. Thank you. Cut five. What was the president's response to a new poll from the New York Times today showing that 64 percent of Democrats say that they would prefer a different candidate in 2024? And um, I would also say from that very same poll, um, there were 92 percent of uh, Democrats who uh, support this president as well. But, you know, not to be not get into uh you know, politics from here or get into a, any political analysis. Um, you know, this is not something, uh, you know, there's going to be many polls. They're going to go up or they're going to go down. Uh, this is not the thing that we are solely focused on. Uh, we are focused on things like today, signing this bipartisan gun reform legislation. Okay, which fine. Uh, by the way, that 92% doesn't exist. No, it does not. It does and, not exist. And also, and, 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 but if you know, but if you look in the at, at the at the, uh, the I think it's the New York Times poll, um, it, the, the argument that they're making is that ninety two percent will vote for Joe Biden again. What that figure actually tells you is that's eight percent of the people. If you trust the polling, eight percent of people who vote for Joe Biden are not voting for him again. And so this silver lining that The New York Times fetches out of the, the barrel of this misery to, in order to claim that, uh, the, the, you know, that it's not all bad, claiming that that a match, a head to head matchup between Biden and Trump has Biden winning. I don't I, that's not possible if eight percent of Joe Biden's right. voters are going to vote for somebody else. You're a Washington guy. I'm not. So let me just tell you, this is my problem with when pe- Republicans look at this poll. They go, no kidding, he's terrible, right? Okay. But why do Democrats not – ask you this question. Why are Democrats not happy with him? Are they unhappy with any of the executive orders? No. 
They were happy the Keystone Pipeline was down. If John Tester wasn't happy, he didn't say a word. You know, so what were they not happy with? That they, 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 the rescue package got passed? No. Were they not happy with the bipartisan, maybe infrastructure bill, maybe they wanted it better, or a bipartisan gun bill? No. That was the problem. Right. Th- their problem is he didn't do Build Back Better and everything that was included. Their problem is he didn't do uh, fully transition us off fossil fuels. And I think their problem is that uh, – the, the police reform didn't get done. Everything that we are glad didn't get done, Democrats see a failure with that. I totally disagree. Uh, assuming that this poll is actually polling okay, normal people. Right. Um, I totally disagree. Normal Democrats. Normal Democrats, they don't want to pay $6 a gallon gasoline. They don't want but inflation. what policy are they not they happy with? They're they're unhappy that they, they just paid one hundred and twenty dollars to fill up their. But they truck. don't want to drill. No, that I, that's not. I don't. I, I think that this is the this is the utopia that Democrat politicians have been peddling for a long time. Exactly, and it's miserable. And these voters they don't want the results, are realizing but they don't want to drill. They don't that, want. I, they don't want. They don't want offshore drilling either. They want wind and they want solar. Uh, we all want um, alternative. Uh, 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 I don't know one Republican would say stop drilling. I don't know one Republican. I'm I'm talking about regular normal. If this captures regular normal voting Democrats. Okay, let's say it does. They don't want – they don't care. They don't want to pay $6 a gallon gasoline. They they believe – first of all, they they don't like Republicans um, for whatever reason. But they're not insane. They don't want to have – 8% 8% inflation. They don't want to pay $6 a gallon and they know gasoline. How to stop that. And, and yeah, and they're going to do and that in November. Any of those and that's why you have 8% of Democrats, uh, assuming that this is true, 8% of Democrats who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 who are not going to vote for him next time. And that's devastating. Right. But if it wasn't for Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, no, I think they, they no, would have went way no, to the left. I, and that no, would have been the Democratic you, agenda I, with, a, with a Supreme Court that's a packed court. I, but I don't agree with that. No, I, but I, I'm, this is where I don't agree. I think that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema represent a whole lot more Democrats than the center of the Democrat Party in and Washington Harold does in the world. Yes, right. I, I, I believe where that. Where are they? And, and where are they? I, I, they're I, both, I have they're, a microphone. I mean, I watch CNN. I watch the other shows. They don't no, exist. And, and 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 by the way, speaking of that, we have extensive polling on our viewers, and more of the more of those viewers watch. Our shows then watch MSNBC or CNN. That's it. Uh, honestly, and and anybody who doesn't know that, you should look this up. It's very important. It's it's a it's an amazing thing that is being revealed here that Democrats don't believe in this stuff. And and I I, I agree with you that that yeah they generally like the idea. Yeah, drilling is kind of bad or whatever. You don't you, you don't like the idea of an oil drill an oil rig all over the whatever but they don't want to pay six dollars a gas a gallon gasoline also on abortion the most divisive political issue we have they don't believe in ninth month abortion they don't believe in all this nonsense that 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 the democrat party has been hijacked by they don't support any of this stuff they support that you know they have a i know but we're i mean are they all cowards i mean no, they're not cowards they vote up they they I think that – are you kidding me? In this environment, you're going to li- raise your head up? A, 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 a Supreme Court justice Republicans can't even – around every day saying, I think we should drill. I think we should have a strong defense. Okay. I don't think we should have high taxes. Why can't a Democrat right. say you, that? OK. You, you, um, because I think that they have become completely hijacked by this crazy woke mob that – destroys people like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. I mean, these people, the, the the party activists in Washington despise these people. You want to know proof that, that there are Democrats who don't believe in this crap? 
2016. That's what Donald Trump proved. And I believe that he speaks for even more Democrats. I think that if, you know, on Election Day in 2020, voters were still breaking for Trump on Election Day. That's after all that we had been through, all the smear. That, and the that, pandemic. And, and, and the and pandemic. The, and, and even the, the, the justifiable stuff against Trump for being sort of see, a, a, see, a Charlie, I, I think I think I want you to be right. Oh, no, I, I'm positive. I wa- no, I want you to be right about Democrats. But I don't think you are because I see – I mean Harold Ford is an anomaly. Uh, I don't Joe believe Manchin he is. Joe Manchin is an anomaly. No, I do. I, absolutely. Where, Joe Manchin. Where, where is Senator Warner? Joe, I'm going to give you the other people that supposedly are moderate. Senator Tester, Senator Warner. Uh, can name another moderate Democrat that you could usually lean on no. that would be somebody that would who be elected, with you. Who elected Joe Manchin? Republicans in West Virginia. No, they didn't. I mean, yeah, maybe a lot of them voted for him. But no, Democrats voted, elected him. Right. And and the, the, he represents people. I, and and because and I, I'm sort of reluctant to get it because I'm sure you can pull up some poll that shows that 90 percent of Democrats, Democrat voters don't want drilling or something like that. And everything but, they don't they don't they think. Yeah, but but it's BS. It's total BS. You can call you can get a poll to say absolutely anything you want well, to the say. Moderate candidates in the primaries. Well, they're getting destroyed by the activists, the, the, the political hacks in the Democrat Party that have taken over the party. Yeah, obviously Rhode Island or Connecticut isn't going to produce a moderate uh, – because there are no moderate Democrats or very Joe few. Joe Lieberman. But, yeah, but he, that was like well, he's gone. 400 he years ago. He had to leave his party he's, because he was moderate. He had to be in his Yeah, but again, I, I said Connecticut. Did I not? I said Connecticut. But like, like you think Georgia Democrats are in favor of all this nonsense? You think yes. Georgia De- – No. Senator Warnock no, got elected. they are – No, they – How did Senator Warnock get elected? Because, because they didn't like the antics, the Trump antics. They didn't like – no. Enough to put a liberal reverend – Who's got a, a history of liberal views? Uh, we'll, we'll continue. I'm, no, I'm getting is, yelled no, at. Let no. me just take a break and come right back. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the Blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Later, <laughs> apologize for that remark. It went over terribly. Your strength. She later apologized for those remarks. Charlie, we only have a couple minutes because we went yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. What is your thoughts? I don't, I, I don't need to tell you. Like when I go, when I come to New York City, I feel like Elf walking around the city. I have no idea where I am. I'm amazed. I want to bust into every like diner and be like, "That's amazing! You have the greatest cup of coffee on earth." I have no. When she said the Bogodas of Brooklyn, I was like, "That's stupid." I'm pretty sure, and you don't, you don't. No one comes to me for proper Spanish pronunciations of anything, right? Um, but I was like, "That doesn't make that's they're not Bogodas." But okay, and by the way, Bodega is probably one of Bodega. the biggest stories in the country. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The other thing is, 
if you were writing a speech and trying to win, or someone's writing you a speech and you're trying to win over the Hispanic who, community, who writes? Would you, who would you say, "Excuse like me, this? what does this word mean?" <laughs> uh, and uh, are we comparing all Hispanics to tacos? She is. I think there might be a problem. She is. Charlie, thanks so much. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you see any potential to ease or, or smooth relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia on this trip? It is our uh, hope and expectation uh, that as we look out into the future, we can help facilitate Israel's deeper in- integration into the region across the board. Specifically with respect to Israel and Saudi Arabia, I'm not going to get ahead of very intensive work that will be done in the course of this trip. Uh, any normalization of any kind would be a long process, but looking for progress and momentum in that direction is certainly something we are focused on as we head off to the Middle East. That is Jake Sullivan not appreciating the Abraham Accords, never mentioning it, but there was a reoriented uh, Middle East than the one they left in 2016 as the President of the United States gets set to go today. Uh, tonight, he's going to be heading over to Israel, then over to Saudi Arabia, at which point he's going to say, can you do me a favor and pump more gas because I've destroyed the pipelines in American domestic produ- production. Senator Lindsey Graham joins us now. I would argue knows as much about the region as anyone. Senator, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. What do you think it's going to – what kind of Middle East will, uh, will President Biden find and what will you do with it? Well, it depends on what he does with Iran. Uh, the one reason the Abraham Accords became a reality is that the Arabs and the Israelis trust, trusted President Trump regarding a common enemy, Iran. So they were able to do something nobody could even envision in 2016, to have the United Arab Emirates, uh, uh, Morocco, Bahrain, uh, to recognize the state of Israel and actually – you know, create diplomatic and economic relations. Uh, nobody saw that as even a possibility unless you fixed the fa- Palestinian problem first. So by standing up strong to Iran, uh, the, the region reacted to that. If Biden goes back into the Iranian nuclear deal, I think his ability to strengthen the Arab-Israeli relationship uh, is going to be very small. Preconditions for this meeting, don't bring up human rights, they told the the, the Biden team. And we're done producing oil. We can't uh, have any more production of uh, oil and gas because we've pretty much maxed that out. So, And we're not going to give up our, our economic relationship with Russia. Those are the preconditions. Well, where did you hear that from? I read it in the Washington Post and New York Times. Well, it must be true. So I don't know. Let's, let's assume for a moment it is. That's a pretty tough meeting to go into. Now, why are you meeting with Saudi Arabia? Because they're they're an ally, an imperfect ally. You know, they're the keeper of the faith in terms of the Sunni religion. And the bottom line is, you know, they're they're the their strongest voice over there. So I understand meeting, but to take all that off the table before the meeting shows, I think, a lack of respect for Biden. I I can't imagine Trump accepting those terms. Well, that's what's uh, going to happen. So we know that Israel, uh, I guess, uh, was speaking to uh, one of the assistants, one of the architects of the Abraham Accords uh, earlier today. Uh, Ari, 
I should say, and I have it right here, uh, Ari Lightstone. And he says yeah. that Israelis are already offended that he's going to East Jerusalem without any Israeli escort. Uh, right. Perhaps impl- implied that he's going to meet with Palestinians who still envision Eastern Jerusalem as their capital. Is that the wrong foot to get off of? I, I think so. You know, trying to help the Palestinian Authority makes some sense. But, you know, what did Trump do? He recognized Jerusalem as the undivided capital of the Jewish state. Well, that had been the policy of the United States since the mid-'90s. Just Trump did it. Everybody talked about making Jerusalem the undivided capital of Israel, but nobody did it except Trump. So the Palestinians were up in arms. But what I can't get over is how the rest of the world, the Arab world, basically – didn't didn't let him affect their ability to work with Israel. So what did Trump do? He basically put the Palestinian issue in one bucket and did not allow the Palestinians to have a veto in moving forward uh, in terms of the Mideast. But if he goes to East Jerusalem unescorted, then that will be seen as a signal by Israel to roll back what Trump did, which would be a huge mistake. Um, yeah, it's a Reuters report, just to your original question. It said senior uh, Saudi officials pressed the U.S. counterparts to scrap all policy of selling in uh, only defensive arms to uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia. So they want to change that, but they also took off the table those things that I mentioned. Yeah. So uh, according to the officials. So, uh, yeah. Senator, we'll see what happens because the they don't have any more oil to give, and we'll see if we change stances. There is a theory the Justice Department has opened up an investigation in the PGA as almost a kiss-up to the Saudi-led golf league, the Live Golf League. Is that actually a possibility? I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Listen, I, I love golf. I know President Trump loves golf. He's hosting the tournament of the Live Tour. Listen, I mean, you're talking about a bunch of rich golfers here. I think the more people involved in golf, probably the better. Uh, and sort of the PGA monopolistic view of this probably needs to be looked at. But the bottom line is we're going to Saudi Arabia in a weakened condition. We pulled out of Afghanistan, so nobody really trusts us anymore. So this whole trip to the Mideast, Afghanistan hangs like a heavy cloud. This idea of going back into the Iranian nuclear agreement, name one thing they've done better to deserve more money. Why would you give the Iranians more money until they change their behavior? So I, I just really feel that the president going to the Mideast with this kind of agenda is going to do more harm than good. Right. Uh, by the way, the only thing the other channels talk about is January 6th. Uh, they're all still talking about the past election. I know that you uh, were subpoenaed to appear in front of a grand jury. You, you pushed back on that, contested it. Now they say you have to appear in front of a grand jury. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I'll be going to court and fight back. Uh, you're not, you're not giving is, up the fight? Oh, good God, no. I mean, listen, you know, as a senator, I've got to vote on whether or not to certify an election. I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, so my job is to figure out what I need to be doing. The bottom line with with all this stuff is that the world is on fire. Uh, I just got back from Ukraine. They've done a hell of a job pushing the Russians out of Kiev. They got them in the east. They're losing ground. They need more weapons. The State Department needs to designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. They're dragging their feet. So I want to work with the Biden administration where I can. But what I'm focused on is my day job. All this political theater, the only reason they're talking about January 6th, this investigation would make the Soviet Union cringe. There's not one dissenting voice. And Ms. Hutchinson, who seemed like a nice lady, 
lady made an accusation that was double hearsay, and nobody on the committee is calling the agents. Oh, by the way, she claimed that somebody told her that Trump tried to grab the wheel and strangle an agent. Is that true? Apparently, they would say no. So it tells me all I need to know about this committee. If you really wanted the truth, wouldn't you try to verify what she said before you put her in front of the entire country? Uh, yeah, and and I know you know Liz Cheney well. I would ex- I expected more of her. I thought she was going to say, yeah. "Well, it's true that the president also said uh, go down there peacefully and patriotically." I would assume he's do that, and then that would be right. the closest thing to a balance. But we don't even have that. That would be ed- that's been edited out, uh, or anything else who would dispute their narrative because uh, because and it's been explained to me by Kevin McCarthy why he didn't put somebody there, and it does make sense. But the final product is really propaganda. It's really a yeah. it's really a documentary that you scripted. Yeah. But I just want to ask you about your situation. You even yeah. mentioned on this show that you called Brad Raffensperger and then he had a problem with your phone calls. They they care about two phone calls you made to him. I don't want to jeopardize anything uh, legally for you. But is there anything you want to say about these phone calls? No, no I've already said. It. I mean, the bottom line is I've I called Arizona to find out how their system worked. I called Nevada to find out, you know, how you validate signatures. I called Georgia to see if, you know, about these allegations. I mean, that's sort of my job, right? I've never suggested to anybody they discount ballots for any political reason. So, no, I'm. the bottom line here is the January 6th committee is not designed to get to the truth. It's designed to create a narrative that Donald Trump shouldn't run again, to, to literally charge him with a crime. We all saw what happened on January 6th. It was a terrible day. But this committee is set up in a fashion that's dangerous. You've got everybody on the committee has one goal. They want to get Trump. And when you call a witness like Ms. Hutchinson, who makes some spectacular allegations, and they seem not to hold water, and you don't pursue further, that says a lot about what you need to know. And, you know, again, the Georgia people are working with the January 6th committee. And what I'm trying to do is do my day job. And I can tell you this, if we open up county prosecutors being able to call every member of the Senate based on some investigation they think is good for the country, we'll ruin the place. I hear you. Uh, I want to talk about Ukraine if we can. I know we got these so-called HIMARS that everyone loves. Yeah. They go 50 miles, but and they blew up a Russian command center in, right. I think you pronounce it, Izam. But the Ukrainians yes. are asking for something, and you can correct me, Don't it won't hurt my feelings. A-T-A-M-C-M-S is how it's broken up, and they go 86 miles. And the Biden administration says... Uh, they're worried that they're going to go into Russia, so right now we're not going to sell it to yeah. them. What yeah. would long-distance rockets do for this fight? Okay, so I went and met with Zelensky. I uh, went to Bucha, where they had the mass graves of people with their hands tied behind their back and shot in the head. Uh, the Russian military is just one big war crimes machine. But Kiev looked like, you know, you had some buildings that had been, been attacked, but people were going about their lives. They were trying to rebuild Bucha. The fight's in the east. They wanted to decapitate Ukraine, take uh, Zelensky out, 
and put a puppet in his place. Well, that fails. So they're in the east now. And this is an artillery duel. If you're in a prize fight, if you're in a, a, a professional fight, and a person has a three or four inch reach, you know, they got longer arms than you do, you got a problem. So the artillery that Russia has can shoot further than, than, than what Ukraine can do. If we give them more precision and longer distance artillery pieces, rocket pieces, we can begin to destroy the Russians inside Ukraine. When it comes to Biden, they've been slow and indecisive. They could have done sanctions before the invasion. They could have given weapons before the invasion. They chose not to do any of those things. They've made excuses of why they can't do this or why they can't do that. They're getting better. But we need to be all in, my friend. The Russian military is beginning to break. They can't resupply their forces. How do you know that? I, I was just there. I've just I've talked to our folks on the ground that the the ability of Russia to regenerate fresh troops is very difficult. They can't mass mobilize Russia because people don't want to go to Ukraine and die. They're lined up ten miles deep to fight in Ukraine. So structurally, the Ukraine is in a pretty good Ukraine's in a pretty good spot if we just give them the weapons. I just don't think they can hold these. There'll be an insurgency rise like you saw in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan against Russian occupiers. These folks in Ukraine are deadly serious about not giving away their country to Putin. And all we need to do is give them the weapons that will make a difference on the battlefield and quit worrying so much. Right. Um, a couple other things real quick. We see this New York Times poll that shows the president of the United States has 33% approval rating. I mean, during the period in Korea, I understand that Harry Truman <laughs> got down to 28%. Obviously, yeah. he's looked at an ear gray president. I don't see this president having that type of bounce back. But when you look at the New York Times publishing this poll and two days ago talking about how the, yeah. uh, the staff worries about the way he shuffles yeah. and yeah. how they do not want to put him in front of people. They cringe when he goes off script yeah. uh, and they watch him talk in circles. Uh, when this comes out in the New York Times, not the Washington Times, yeah. what does that right. lead you to believe? Well, the New York Times is the voice of the left, right? The liberal media in this country is so in the tank for the Democratic cause. And, you know, 5% of Republicans believe that, um, you know, the broadcast TV is on the up and up. I can't believe there's 5%. Here's what it tells me. They're trying to create a narrative for Democrats to follow. They're trying to write a script and get more Democrats to be openly critical of the fact that Biden's unelectable, that it's time to have a new generation. They would not be doing this unless they had an agenda. And I think their agenda is to cripple Biden so he can't seek office again, to, re to replace him with somebody more electable. Unbelievable that they think the media has this problem. They're going to pick the leaders that we get to vote on. It's incredible. They think that. It's nuts. I mean, they, 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 they control all the narrative. You know, the New York Times is sort of the voice for the left here. What is in the Times on Monday becomes all over the country on Tuesday. And the bottom line here is Trump, whether you like him or not personally, he stood up to these people. He stood up to them. He stood up to ISIS. He stood up to Putin in his own way. And, and you know, I, I think this is a stunning statement by the New York Times, which tells me that they're trying to send a signal to the Democratic base. you got a problem. We need to move on. Somebody new other than Biden. What is Trump's reaction to uh, to the possibility of running? I think he's very inclined to run. I think he has unfinished business. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. He's dismayed at how the border is so broken, how bad the country is. He feels 
you know, he's got a good life, but I think he feels the need to to get back in the game. Time will tell. I don't know if he's going to run for sure, but I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Would he be worried about DeSantis? You know, I don't think President Trump is looking at anything other than what can he do to fix the country. You know, we talked yesterday, and he said, you know, listen, I've got a great life. I've had a great life. I've, uh, I just, you know, I, he, he, he's very sad, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, clearly losing the election was not something he, he accepted well. But the bottom line is that you do want your country to do well, right? And he just sees it broken in so many areas. I think if he runs, and again, I'll be surprised if he doesn't, he's in it to win it, and he is in it to convince people we don't have to there's a better way uh, you saw what happened with kavanaugh at at that morton's restaurant and you see what's happening yeah. outside his house as well as amy coney yeah. barrett and as well yeah. as justice alito and you see what they said yeah. about clarence thomas do you worry about their security in this i do and i you know there's statutes on the book that prevent uh people to go to a judge's home to intimidate them or a juror's home. Just think about it. If you have a trial, do you really want a mob to go out in front of a juror's house? No. Do you want the judge to be intimidated by a mob as they're trying to decide a case? No. Well, these laws are on the books, but they're not being enforced. And this, you know, this bounty that people have on conservative judges, you know, you get 200 bucks if you tell me where they're at, is a form of intimidation that should be rejected by everybody. You know, at the at the end of the day, I don't like it when people on the conservative side go too far. Uh, this idea of just hounding judges and their family will, over time, destroy the rule of law. I'm telling you right now, if, if the average person who runs for office can't go to the airport, can't go out to a yeah. restaurant, their families yeah. are not going to let them run, and we're going to get a bunch of knuckleheads running for office uh, wor- uh, worse than we could ma- imagine. Senator, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brian. Go get him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll be back to wrap things, wrap up this hour in just a moment. So glad you listened to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Just a quick announcement, especially to everyone in... Um, KRMG, I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th. I know it seems like a long way away, uh, but go get tickets now. It's uh, it's going to be unabashedly red, white, and blue night, a chance to talk about our history and the way it was written and the way it was lived. Uh, the President Freedom Fighter paperback will be out then. I'll be at City Hall Live in Brandon, Missouri. That'll be November 13th, November 12th. But everyone in Newark, New Jersey, in New York, in Connecticut, listen to me in the surrounding area. I'll be at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center uh, in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, that'll be October, August 27th, and Albany, New York, September 8th. All right? Um, is that what you were saying, uh, Pete? Ain't... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon, Missouri. Uh, that'll be uh, November 12th. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.